Well, we are finishing up our series, our sermon series on the book of Ruth. And today we'll be looking at Ruth chapter 4, verses 13 to the end of the book, which is verse 22. By the way, we begin a new sermon series next week on the gospel of Mark. Ruth chapter 4, beginning with verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife, and he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron, and Hezron fathered Ram, and Ram fathered Abinadab, and Aminadab fathered Nashon, and Nashon fathered Salmon, and Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed, and Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David. Father, we pray that you would take this word and that you would work in our hearts and our lives and our mind, uh, that we uh, might have our eyes and our ears opened, uh, that you might be at work in us. And we're so thankful, Father, for your word and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last week after the sermon was uh, over and Heath preached an excellent sermon on Ruth chapter 4, the first uh, half of this chapter, and somebody said to me in response, this Sunday, Ron, are you going to be preaching again on uh, Hallmark, another Hallmark movie? And I said, no, it's better than Hallmark. Better than Hallmark. You know, the typical Hallmark, you know, the, the, the pretty... Uh, urban person from New York City comes and uh, she comes to this uh, little town in Colorado, you know, and the hunky uh, guy that's running the Christmas tree farm, you know, and somehow they they kind of they kind of get together and they're kind of interested in each other. And but then something happens and then they kind of hate each other. And then near the end, they get together and it ends with a kiss. Right. Well, you sort of had that happen last week. You had Boaz, and Boaz ends up uh, with Ruth, and then at the end, he takes his sandal off. Again, it's not as romantic as a kiss, but it's a, it's a lot more significant in their culture in terms of commitment. I won't review last week on that. Just take my word for it. It's kind of like that. Um, and so what we have, though, and we've been talking about over these past weeks in, in Ruth, as we've talked about Ruth, is restoration through redemption. And what we're going to find out today is we get better than restoration through redemption. Or I guess probably a more technical way of saying it is the way the Bible speaks of restoration is something better than just getting back to where you were before. Naomi, she left Israel Full, as we found out, she had a wife, she had a husband, she had two sons. She returned with no husband and no sons. They passed away. She came back empty. Restoration, what would that mean? Well, when we think of restoration, you know, you get in a car wreck, you got a Toyota Corolla, and the uh, insurance company makes you whole, 
And you have, at the end of the day, another Toyota Corolla. You don't get a Ferrari, right? You don't get better than what you had before. I had a a friend who lost his wedding band uh, on the golf course when he was playing. And um, somebody found the wedding band and they returned it to him. He was restored. Uh, He had the wedding band that he had lost. But we find out today that redemption means that you will receive something better than simply restoration to your original state. Now, if we apply this to the story of Ruth, what we find is that it could have ended last week. It could have, it could have ended in a completely different way if the, if the goal was simply getting back to where they were before. And this is true for both Ruth and Naomi. Uh, Naomi is Ruth's mother-in-law. And so just think about this for those of you who are here in Ruth chapter 3. Ruth comes to Boaz and says, Boaz, you are, my, you are a redeemer. You are a close relative. You are a goel in the Hebrew. And so marry me. And so what does Boaz say? Boaz says, yes, I am a redeemer, but there is one closer to me to you than me, and so he has the first right of refusal. This is how it went down in Luke, excuse me, in Ruth chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. And now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning, if he will redeem you, good. Let him do it, but if not, if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Now, I want you to understand what's not said there. Okay, so Ruth comes to Boaz, says, redeem me. You are a redeemer. It's your responsibility. Um, It's your responsibility to marry me, again, by way of review, such that not only is Ruth taken care of and Ruth's mother-in-law taken care of, but that the family line would then be preserved through the resulting firstborn son of Ruth's uh, previous husband, deceased husband. That's the way it worked in Old Testament law so that that family line would continue in perpetuity and the land would be passed down through that line. It was a way of preserving uh, both the line and the people in Israel in this agrarian society. But what Boaz doesn't say is this, you know, Ruth, there is a guy that is closer. He's got first dibs on you. Now, if he decides that he wants to go ahead and redeem you, I will be absolutely heartbroken because I love you, you are my, uh, you are my destiny. And, uh, and so I can't, I can't imagine ever living without you. No, he doesn't say that. What does he say? He says, if he will redeem you, good, let him do it. Doesn't sound so romantic, does it? And, but what's going on here is, is Boaz and Ruth, in a knowing way, they understand the predicament that Ruth and Ruth's mother-in-law is in, 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 uh, Poverty and, and needing, needing the family line then to be continued. And so there is a solution to that. And Ruth sees that solution in Boaz. And Boaz says, great, I will take that responsibility on myself. There's one that's closer. If he takes that responsibility, then good. Problem solved. End of story. If Ruth said, so we found out last week that Boaz goes to the city elders. And this man is here, the closer redeemer. He says, this land is for sale. And, uh, and so uh, the man says, I will redeem it. And then Boaz says, oh, there's a catch to that. You got to take uh, Ruth on as your wife when you redeem the land. 
says, I'm not going to do it. So then Boaz gets the woman, right? But what, what would have happened if, uh, if, if the, the other redeemer had said, okay, then we would have had, again, the romantic ending with the, the sandal being taken off. And he would have said, I will, uh, I will redeem Ruth. The end. Ruth is restored. Ruth has a husband once more. Naomi is taken care of. There is restoration brought back to the situation where it was before. But no, that's not what happened. It was better than restoration. So let's look and see how it was better than restoration, redemption, how it ends in something better than what was the previous status quo. So first we see in terms of Ruth that she not only got a husband, but she got an exceptional husband. Okay, we found out that what was the motivation of Boaz uh, for Ruth? Now, uh, people kind of think, well, you know, he, Ruth caught Boaz's eye. She was such a beautiful woman, you know, and he, he got interested in her. There's none of that in the text. What is in the text is he is absolutely impressed with the fact that Ruth is a woman who is committed to her mother-in-law. He says, I have heard of the way in which you've taken care of your mother-in-law, how you have shown her chesed, have you shown her love and kindness and commitment, covenant commitment. Ruth was the one who said to her mother-in-law, I will, your God will be my God, your people will be my people. Where you dwell, I will dwell, and nothing but death will separate us. That impressed Boaz. That's impressive for Ruth, but it's also impressive that Boaz looked at her and said, this is desirable that I would have a wife that exhibited these qualities. And so we don't really know anything about Ruth's previous husband, but we know that Boaz was truly a catch in the best sense of the word because of his righteousness. He was quite a husband. Ruth wasn't only restored to marriage, she was blessed by God with a child, something that she did not have before. In verse 13, so Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife and he went into her and the Lord gave her conception and she bore a son. Now, as I mentioned, this is important for passing down the family line and property to the the family of Ruth's deceased husband. And it's not only important for Ruth's well-being, but for her uh, mother-in-law, Naomi's. And so Naomi has also been restored by the Lord through the Redeemer uh, to be better than she was before, to have it better than she was before. And so what you find in, uh, in here at the beginning of Ruth and at the end of Ruth, you have the, the chorus of women that come. We, you know, in sort of literature, you have the chorus. So you have these women from the city that appear in chapter one and the same women appear in chapter four. And um, in many ways, this could be entitled the book of Naomi because it's really about Naomi's uh, coming back empty and Naomi being filled uh, by the Lord. And so here's what, what happens in the opening scene with the women at the city gates, uh, uh, at the city, when Naomi comes back home. Verse 19, so the two of them, that is Naomi and Ruth, went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? 
She said to them, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? Now notice the contrast from chapter 1 to chapter 4. In chapter 4, God has not only given Naomi a, uh, a son, as it were, through Boaz, but a grandson, an heir. And she had not received a son through her previous, uh, her previous sons who had passed away. Verse 14 of chapter 4, the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. Now the redeemer, the women are speaking of there is not Boaz. They are speaking of the son that was born to Ruth will be a Goel, a close relative that will support her. In this case, uh, we see that this is the person that will take care of her in her old age. Verse 15, he shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons has given birth to him. She'll be restored from a life of loneliness, from a life of poverty. She'll be taken care of. In fact, the word there, restore, in verse 15, is the the word uh, that I got the sermon title from, uh, restoration through redemption. It means a turning back, a restoring uh, to what you had before, to the previous state, and even better than before. Naomi previously had two sons, and the women declare that Ruth is better than seven sons, a better situation. Why is that? Well, because of Ruth's great love for her uh, mother-in-law and all that we mentioned. She said, I will commit myself to you. She went out and gleaned in the fields to support her mother. And when her, mother, when her mother-in-law said, this man Boaz, you need to go and uh, tell him, Uh, that he should marry you because he's the redeemer. She followed her mother's instructions, and the result was that things were better than they were before. Oh, Ruth Ruth was better than seven sons. Um, And she now has a child that is born that is a restorer of her uh, her in in her, um, at this time and then in her old age, somebody that will take care of her. We find that Naomi was given a house that is a family line, a dynasty. Prior to this, her house, her family line was in jeopardy. She had no son. She had no relatives to carry on the family line. And now through Ruth's son Obed, she had an heir. If you think back to last week, for those who were here in chapter four, uh, there was an emphasis on the house, the house of Boaz. Chapter 4, verse 11, may the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. And so now we have this emphasis on the house in verse 16. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse 
And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name saying, a son has been born to Naomi. They named him Noah, Obed. And oh, by the way, his father was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Just a little detail there. Really, in some senses, the whole purpose of the book was to talk about this line, the line of David through Obed, through uh, Naomi, through Naomi's um, uh, daughter-in-law, Ruth, and Boaz. And so not only was, did she have a house, not only did she have a preserved dynasty, this dynasty was the most important dynasty in all of Israel and arguably the whole world. Because who is going to come, humanly speaking, through the line of David? Well, we read this in Matthew chapter 1, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And then it goes on to say, And Salmon was the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed, and Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David. Oh, Naomi, empty one, you're empty no more. You had no idea when you came back to Bethlehem that God was going to restore you and do much more. And God has a plan, an ultimate plan, to redeem and restore not only Ruth and Naomi, but all of us, ultimate redemption through the line that God provides through the Redeemer and an even better redemption for us. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7 speaks of redemption. In him, in Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. See, there's sin in this world. There's sin in our lives. Adam sinned, and we need restoration. We need to be redeemed from the difficulty created by our sin and sin in this world. Hebrews chapter 9, 12 says, Jesus entered once and for all the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing eternal redemption. He bought us out of the penalty of our sin, the difficulty of our sin, the, de- the depravity of our sin, and being deprived through our sin and the sin of this world. The penalty of our sin is listed in stark terms in Revelation chapter 19, verses 20, um, and, and other passages here in uh, chapter 20 and following. And the beast was captured, and with it the false prophet, who in its presence had done the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped its image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet were. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. This is a result of our sin, the predicament caused by our sin. It's something we need to be redeemed from. Jesus Christ himself speaks of this predicament, this coming judgment. Matthew chapter 25, verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. 
Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick and in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly, I say to you, as you did it to the least one of these brothers of my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me food. You gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me and naked and you did not clothe me sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they will also answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did, not, and did not minister to you? Then he will say to them, truly I say to you, as you did not do it to the, one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death and all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And make no, make no mistake, we need redemption. We need to be bought back from the penalty of our sin. And so would you understand that, even as you sit here today, that you would be redeemed from the consequence of your sin? And also, we need to be redeemed from the outworking in our world of sin, death, and illness We find ourselves in physical decline. We find ourselves, um, our world in a state of war and interpersonal conflict. And the Bible said that those things can be undone. In fact, we can be redeemed for something better than restoration. Uh, The the group Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young uh, sang the song Woodstock, and they said, we've got to get ourselves back to the garden, the Garden of Eden. Wouldn't it be great to get back to the Garden of Eden? That seems like that would be pretty wonderful. Adam and Eve, perfect relationship with each other. They had a wonderful relationship with God in the garden. It was wonderful weather all the time. Had no needs, no wants. Wouldn't it be wonderful? You know, sometimes I think I wish I could run like I used to run in high school. I ran cross country and track. Um, wouldn't it be great to get back, to restore to back where I was back then in my youth? And what if I could even run like Adam could have run in the garden? I bet he could, you know, run a, a mile much faster than I ever ran. Wouldn't it be great to be restored to that? Well, your sights are too low. Because the Bible says that our restoration is going to be better than the garden. It's going to be better than the condition of Adam. Through redemption. The Apostle Paul speaks of redemption in Romans chapter 8. He speaks of creation. He says this in verse 21 The creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. 
For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. There'll be a time when creation will be set free, will be redeemed from its bondage to death and decay. Isaiah, the prophet, speaks of a perfect creation in relationship to one another. Verses chapter 11, 6 and following. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat and the calf and the lion and the fatted calf together and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young shall lie down together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord in the waters, as the waters cover the sea. Now, not only creation itself, but our bodies will be redeemed. Romans eight twenty three, and not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we eager eagerly await for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Our bodies are going to be transformed into something better than Adam's body. Now, I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians 15. It's a long passage, but I I want you to hear what the Apostle Paul, what God's word says about the final state that we will find ourselves in, those who are redeemed by Jesus Christ. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? What kind of body do they come? You foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars, for the stars differ from star in glory. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown perishable is raised imperishable. What is sown In dishonor is raised in glory, it is sown in weakness, it is raised in power, it is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first Adam became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural and then the spiritual. The first man was from earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable. We shall be changed, for this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and the mortal body must put on immortality. 
When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Victory over death is accomplished by the redemption made possible by Jesus Christ. And in Christ, uh, because of his body, his resurrection, we will be made like him, those who are united to Jesus Christ in faith. And our souls will be made better than Adam's soul. Though Adam was created uh, without sin, he had the ability to sin. That will not be the case as we face the day of redemption, as Scripture calls it. 1 John 3, 2 and 3 speaks of it. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. Everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. John is talking about the nature of Jesus Christ, that we will be purified as Jesus Christ is pure. No more to sin, no more to be able to sin. Won't that be wonderful? Better than the situation that Adam and Eve came, uh, that they were brought into in this world We'll have this wonderful, restored relationship with God in perfection. Revelation 21, 2. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And so what is the solution for you and for me? And the solution is redemption. And we receive redemption by turning to our Redeemer in faith and trusting in him, admitting that we need a Redeemer, that we want a Redeemer, that we look forward to this day of redemption when all of this will come in completion. Jesus Christ paid the redemption price through his own blood. Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. So run to your Redeemer, just like Ruth did. Ruth went to Boaz. She went to the Redeemer. She challenged the Redeemer, take your responsibility, marry me. You are my Redeemer. Boaz said, I will. There's another who's closer. Run to Jesus Christ. He is your Redeemer. If you say, Jesus, redeem me. I trust in you. Jesus will say, there is no other redeemer. There is no one else that can make this possible, but I'm willing to do it. Run to Jesus, your redeemer. And so one day we look forward to complete and final redemption in every sense of the word, restored to better than we were before. But I also want to encourage you today to think about redemption in this world, that God, as I mentioned in a previous sermon, is in the business of redeeming. He brought redemption to Ruth and Naomi in this world. We pray for people in the time of pastoral prayer that God would redeem them 
uh, from the difficulty and trials that they're going through. God doesn't promise that he will restore everything that you've lost. But he is a redeeming God. And uh, if you don't, if it's not restored to you, then God has something better in mind. He's doing something uh, that you can't even imagine, uh, that you don't understand. He's working in your life for your good and his glory. But oftentimes, God will do exactly what we find in the book of Ruth. He will restore not only to where it was before, but he'll make it even better than it was before. I quoted the song about a year ago in a sermon. It's, it's a song by a group called the Old 97s, a song entitled The Belmont Hotel. And it's a, it's a, a metaphor of a husband-wife relationship. And uh, in an interview, uh, the songwriter, Rhett Miller, explained what was going on in this song. He said, the Belmont Hotel was a motor court-styled motel in the 50s. But this motor court in the 1950s was not a fancy hotel, clearly. It was a motor court. Cut to the 1990s when the old 97s were doing our first photo shoot. Some of our first band photos were taken in the parking lot of the old Belmont Motor Court. Then 15 years later, investors came in, bought the Belmont Hotel, and it's so beautiful now. It's this really cool, hip, artsy hotel with a view of the Dallas skyline. And I was staying there one time, and it hit me as I looked out of the window onto the parking lot where the band had shot photos, specifically because of how terrible it looked back then, and how it was so beautiful. I just started thinking about the metaphor of it. If you don't give up on something and if you put in time and if you put in the work, you can take something that could easily be abandoned, like a marriage, and you can make it beautiful again. You can breathe life into it. And it just, it was really moving to me as just sort of an object lesson. So here's the song, lyrics to the song. Our love is like the old Belmont Hotel. It was in ruins. Now it's doing quite well. The windows were busted, big holes in the walls. Madman and wildlife were roaming the halls. Now there's a swimming pool with two waterfalls, and it's better than brand new now. Our life is like, our love is like the old Belmont Hotel. It was condemned by the town for a spell. Vagrants moved in and set fires in the rooms. Ceilings were charred and the air thick with fumes. Now there's a garden where blue bonnets bloom. And it's better than brand new now. So many times good buildings get torn down, raised to the ground, because work is hard to do. And oh, if you try, you don't let a living thing die. It might wind up better than brand new. Our love is like the old Belmont Hotel, restored to the grace from which it fell. We almost gave up, but we both stayed right here. The hope we held on to was stronger than fear. Now, all I can say is I love you, my dear, and we're better than brand new now. So what is it in your life that you would have restored, maybe better than what it was originally? And our God can do that. He is a redeemer. Maybe a marriage relationship, other relationships with friends, with family, a vocation, a financial financial situation. And as I said, God doesn't promise restoration this side of the day of redemption, but often he does redeem, even in the here and now, because he is in the business of redeeming. 
He did it for Ruth, he did it for Naomi, and he often does it for us, making things better than brand new. So whatever happens in this life, whatever ways your life becomes empty, God does promise the redemption of your relationship with him in this world that it's better than before if you trust in your Redeemer. And so the hymn captures it well, our heart, as we respond to our great Redeemer. Praise my soul, the King of heaven, to his feet your tribute bring, ransomed, healed, restored, forgiven, evermore his praises sing. And so we are the people who praise our God for the redemption brought about through Jesus Christ, our Savior and our King. And so God can redeem you and redeem what you've lost to better than it was before. The emptiness of your life made full. For you have a redeemer in Jesus Christ, the eternal son of God, the son of David. Trust in him. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful for your word. We're grateful for this account of the life of Ruth and the life of Naomi and how you've made it so clear that you are our redeemer and that you delight in redeeming us and that you, even through providing Ruth and Naomi in space and time, uh, you provided a line from which would come the redeemer of people all over the world. And so we come to you as your, as your people who have been redeemed by you, who have faith in you. I pray, Father, that you would help us to look forward to this ultimate day of redemption, that we would be encouraged by that, no matter what we're going through in this world. And at the same time, Father, may we be people who believe and have hope that you will continue to redeem in some of these lesser but important ways in this world, ways in which we have been full and then become empty, uh, may become full again and even better than before. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And so let us praise our great Redeemer, Jesus Christ, by singing to him, All glory be to Christ. Let's stand and sing.